changes the place to be. Far given is the light for me. Land spreading out so far and wide. Keep Manhattan, just give me that countryside. No. The chores. The stores. Fresh air. Times Square. You are my wife. Goodbye, city life. Yep. Green All right, the Friday morning staple for many people. Another episode of Free Farm Friday here. With our master farmers, Brian Koch, and one and only Dan Mundy, the master of all master uh, old guy farmer farmers. On next Friday's show, I have a real treat for you. Um, I have met a guy, a gentleman, at the Catholic Land Movement Conference. His name is Tim. And uh, Tim is the son of the owner of a Christmas tree farm that doubles... As a maple syrup farm. So they did the maple syrup first because they had this piece of 200 acres that is covered with maple. And then they started uh, doing some uh, re uh, regenerative stuff and started uh, recycling in Christmas trees. And he's going to tell us all about the real process, uh, the ups and downs of making maple syrup, real maple, maple syrup, and of how the, the farm has actually grown and is almost supporting itself now. And there are two generations on it. So that's on next Friday's Free Farm Friday. On this Friday, uh, Mitter Coke and uh, Mitter Money, the old farmer, are standing by. Mitter Old Farmer, how was your turkeyless Thanksgiving? Uh, well, man, I guess somebody wants to say hello, Mike. Say hello. I, Can you hear them? I hear them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I decided this morning I was going to spend some time talking to creatures that made sense. Yes, I, I uh, oh, 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 farmer, I speak swine. What he said was, <laughs> he's in great pain and he wants you to make him into some bacon. But just hang oh, uh, loose, blood. She could be back with a butcher on the, on the rebound on the midside. <laughs> <laughs> All they got to do is be patient. Uh, you, I believe you were asking. Uh, turkey season went very well this year. I'm probably one of the best I've ever had. I even got the best compliment I ever did. I had some. I, went, I was in bed at 9 o'clock that night because, you know, remember, I'm older than you. Yes, yes. Uh, at least three mom. days. Oh no, home. Just remember, I know, I know, no. I know when you were born. Don't forget, I was born on the Epiphany, so I got you, brother. <laughs> but but the, uh, uh, I'm in bed and I get a text, and I can tell by the number it was some lady who had bought a turkey from me, and I was like, oh my god, she's dying, and all of her relatives are dead. <laughs> no, no, no. She said, not only was this the most fantastic bird they had ever had, she unfortunately had let all the guests uh, take their own leftovers. They took all the turkey, and she wanted to know if I had another one to sell her. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that is one of the best compliments I ever did get. 
That is a fantastic compliment. <clears throat> Somebody, hey, uh, yes, I uh, bought a turkey for you. Can I get another one? <laughs> Unfortunately, the only bad thing was, the only bad thing is that uh, when the brothers and sisters got their turkey, it was the following Monday, and it was in a bag to limit the smell. Oh, so they didn't have a turkey at the St. Benedict Center? Well, I, I don't know what they have, but it wasn't one of mine. I, I did put a complaint into the head of all Eastern U.S. Postal Operations, Mr. Joe B. Person, and he told me he was on vacation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You gotta laugh, Mike. What else can you do? You gotta laugh. <laughs> well, sometimes that's all you can do is laugh. Um, we have uh, we have Brian Coker is also on the uh, uh, Dude Maker uh, Free Farm Friday and Maker Hotline. You actually did have a turkey. I did, and uh, but you they, had your own they, turkey. Yes, yes, and it was it was quite uh, fantastic. <laughs> now, how many pounds was yours? Uh, ours was around ten. Wow. Oh. It wasn't it wasn't a gigantic one, but it was it was perfect. Um, I prefer you know maybe a fifteen fifteen pounder, but I mean it just I mean the flavor you just can't can't beat it and. Uh, Everybody else that uh, got one had rave reviews, so you know it was uh, it was it, it was they were a success. Uh, I think uh, the drought kind of cut into the size of them, but uh, since they you know they were pasture raised birds, but they, it was it, they turned out well, and uh, you know we uh, we enjoyed it, and everybody that uh, had some enjoyed it as well. So it was I, I say it was a success. Now, are you getting rain? Did you get rain yesterday? Yeah, I got about a half inch. So uh, I am, since yesterday was the last day of the month, I totaled all my rain for the, for so far for the year. And I'm sitting at 28 point, about 28, a little over 28 and a half inches for the year. And our average per year is 46. So I need about 17 to make up. The deficit <laughs> this month, so I don't think that's going to happen. So it's you know it was definitely a, a dry year, but we're we're we've been getting a little bit you know the past two or three months, but uh, we 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 still got a long way to go. So I mean, the ponds and the uh, creeks and everything definitely could use the recharge. And I know it looks like the dry pattern has shifted east um i posted a couple pictures earlier of the uh the uh, drought monitor and yard in the d five i think the highest oh highest we're drought. in the uh we're beyond the severe we're in the what do they call it uh interesting drought or, or what there's a term for it you go like uh, you can't even describe it it's so bad yeah, yeah, it's 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 a it's a definitely. Uh, I don't I don't know if it's your drought of record, but it's definitely one to to remember. Well, so, dude, uh, bro, all you got to do is go to the Atchafalaya Spillway, cross I ten mm-hmm. between Lafayette and Baton Rouge, and uh, cross the Atchafalaya Spillway, and it's not a spillway any longer. It is a field with cypress knees in it. Mm-hmm. For the yeah, most part, Henderson Swamp is Henderson Playground now. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, quite a few pictures. Yeah, now we've had some rain. Uh, it started yesterday. Uh, we probably had, I don't know, maybe a half an inch in the last week. It rained, uh, misted rained a couple of, uh, couple of times. Um, it's been raining here all night uh, to this morning. So 100% chance going to rain today, 90% chance tomorrow. No one is complaining about it uh, because we all want that increase uh, in rain. Um, but it would be a wonderful thing. For that high-pressure window to shift to the east. Now, just for comparison's sakes, when we vacationed in, as a family in 2013, the summer of 2013, at Hartwell Lake in Georgia, um, we had gone there because we had been made so many trips to my sister's house up Interstate 81 um, and across Lake Hartwell, which is a ginormous, it's dammed, right? It's a ginormous re reservoir. Um, crossing Lake Hartwell, it was, just, it was beautiful. You know, as far as the eye could see in, in either direction, uh, were this beautiful lake. You can see there's camp houses all over the place. And they have all sorts of uh, opportunities, you know, to rent uh, summer camps and what have you. So we were excited about it. We did not know that the year that we went, 2013, uh, that they were at the, uh, at the end, or nearing the end of a 16-month severe drought. That water level in Hartwell Lake, which actually supplies most of Atlanta's drinking water, was minus 22 feet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a... So and my point is, is it happens. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it just, it's, just right now, y'all are in the uh, in the midst of it, and uh, you know it's going to break. You know, and I think with this El Nino winter, it's it, it's supposed to start. You know, really coming across, and that's you know usually El Nino is when we get a a lot of rain. Uh, Two thousand two is one I can remember where it was. I think we had probably I want to say close to 70 or 80 inches of rain during the year, which is almost double <laughs> the average. So it just, you know, just, it just all depends, you know? Well, we're, we're also dealing with, and I don't know if you saw this, Mitter Money, maybe you saw this, um, uh, Krakatoa's cousin, uh, Krakatoa, I forget the, the name of it, but it's in the Krakatoa chain. Krakatoa's cousin, you know, we've been talking a lot about the, uh, the Hawana, uh, Tonka, the Tonka Hawana Honkatai volcano, and the, the, the greatest um, uh, uh, volcanic eruption for, or for water vapor that's ever been measured in the, in the modern era, and how it was going to, you know, the, the scientists at NOAA were even saying, plus, you know, the real decent climate scientists actually studied the science, not what they want it to be. We're saying that this is going to have an effect for up to three years, and it's all going to be to the north and to the uh, to the east of where it erupted, which is where we are. So I think some of what we're experiencing is a result of that volcano. But Krakatoa's little cousin erupted in, uh, in April of this year. Did you know that? Not high enough to be put on anybody's website. Even even the Epic Times, I didn't see it. I didn't see it until the other day. The Cesare posted it in the, uh, I think it was Cesare, and the, the chat room or a signal group. And then I started researching it, looking at it. Uh, now, this was not a water vapor event. This was an ash cloud event. Um, and it was a big one. It wasn't Krakatoa, but it was another big one. Um, and the story went on to say there was two other volcanoes in the Pacific Rim that have also erupted this year. So there's a lot of volcanic activity. All of that ash cloud, Mitter Mundi, 
drifts to the east to us. So, yes, we are under massive amounts of volcanic disturbance up in the upper atmosphere. So that can, if you're looking for, to blame the climate on something, it's not global warming, it's not SUVs, it's nature. They're going like, oh, yeah, watch this. I can undo all your stupid regulations in 30 seconds. Well, gee, that makes me feel better because I just put a new faucet in my mother's kitchen sink and I took the restrictor out of it. I was feeling really guilty about that, but I guess I don't have to now. <laughs> so the restrictor well, was restricting the water pressure? Yeah, I'm looking at this thing and I was like, there's no water. You know what it was? I put the hot water on and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And I was like, why is it taking so long to get the hot water? You know, and I'm, I'm an engineer. I, I use an engineer. It's like, duh, there's no flow here. Let me see if I can fix that. So I took it out. You know, was there a... Was there a was there a federal warning tag on that thing? Did you take break this seal under federal penalty of federal law? No, but I believe there's a little sending unit in there that's going to connect to my Bluetooth when I forget to turn it off and 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 let them know that I did it. But again, the internet is evil and must be killed. Well, this is, this is true. <laughs> but uh, we, we uh, that's funny. I mean, I, I think I've told you before. That in 1980, because I can remember that far back when when Mount St. Helens went up. We, I mean, we had. A summer that was so dry. I remember we up there with my Uncle Bill up there dumping 55-gallon drums of water. We were pumping out of what was left of the brook on the tomatoes. And he took his hat off and wiped his brow and said, what we need is about 150,000 people to come and piss up here. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we, we here right now, I mean, we, this this year we're about, we were about three inches over average for rainfall, so nothing dramatic and nothing, you know, it was pretty steady, but we have gotten a lot of heavy rains, which make things kind of muddy, which is why the pigs are swimming right now, but uh, the, t the temperatures have been rather cool, and I know I, you're, oh, 4 o'clock in the morning, I'm out doing my walk, and it's 38 degrees, I said, it's 4 o'clock in the morning, I wish it was 38 degrees up here, <laughs> 23 degrees up here, and I'm sure brothers and sisters are up there laughing at me, but... <laughs> You know, it has been cooler, and which you know would make some sense, and more like the weather pattern this year for me was actually more like I remember it when I was a kid. For the way, so <laughs> if for no other reason other than nostalgia, I hope it stays that way. Well, I hope it does too. Uh, hey, let me bring Brian Cook back on. Brian K, uh, join me in saying uh, I can't sing because oh, I can't sing anyway, but I can't sing uh, because of uh, my throat. But uh, a little, a quick verse of happy birthday to Ava Maria four seventy two. Happy birthday, Alyssa. Mm -hmm. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Ave Maria, penance for my sins. Happy birthday. <laughs> She's a great gal. She's fantastic. Yes, happy birthday. All right, let's talk about the article that Dan Mundy sent. Sheer genius, sheep step in as natural weed control for grape growers. Is this an old story or a, twi a new story or a new twist on an old story? Either one of you. Yeah, it's not the first time I've seen these things, but it's probably, it's not a new story. I just find it amusing because, they, you know, when they write stories like that, they make it out like it's the greatest revelation since the, the, the flesh coming and, and finding out how to make bread rise and everything else. Uh, you know, those articles are very... Uh, Vo void of information. They're just kind of blurbs. 
But they've been doing this for a while. They're doing them around. But you know what, Dan? There's a picture. Panels. I think that's great, too. Uh, It's so stupid. But but you know what? Here's an interesting thing. The photograph that's in the story, uh, uh, Brian, I know you read the story. and I'm sure you remember the photograph. The photograph that's in the story is the ideal scenario allows for a cover crop of four inches, a stocking density of 10 sheep per half acre, and moving the sheep every day, as if that's a revelation. The funny thing to me, or the or the takeaway is, there's a photograph there of the the grapevines. Uh, they're all in a row, and you know they all have their little climbing trellises and what have you. And then all the sheep that are hanging out uh, in each individual row, most of them with their heads down, meaning that they're eating all the grass and weeds in between each of the vines. Brian, I look at this and I go like, okay, so you're taking me back to the time of Jesus. Looks perfectly natural to me. What am I looking at? It's kind of understanding the biology of the sheep and, and using using the, the advantage of, you know, they're cleaning the weeds out. And on top of that, giving you a benefit of cycling those nutrients naturally instead of pumping, uh, you know, not only your limit the spraying of chemicals, but you're uh, actually naturally cycling nutrients and you're eliminating uh, you know, amounts of uh, commercial fertilizers and stuff that, you know, are made in a, in a refinery or a factory rather than out on the ground. So you're basically going, you know, mimicking nature in, in what you're trying to do, which when you're talking about regenerative agriculture, that's what you want to do. You want to fix that nutrient cycle and cut down on chemical and other inputs and, you know, there's also something to be had with sheep. You know, you can turn around and sell, you know, sell those sheep for meat. And, you know, if, if, and so you're kind of what we call, what I would call a stacking the enterprise. Uh, you're decreasing inputs and adding something else to your, you know, whatever you're uh, doing, you know, to your operation. So it's, it makes a lot of sense to do stuff like that. Um, you know, in other areas, uh, if you could keep the goats in check, you know, goats are great for, you know, similar things. I know, uh, the city of Houston, their parks department, instead of, uh, spraying chemi- a lot of chemicals around the bayous and stuff, they're using goats to clean out poison ivy Smart and other, you know, thick, uh, you know, brush species and stuff. So it's it's just kind of one of those things you can do. I mean, pigs are effective in clearing brush too. Absolutely. You know, could, yeah. Ask uh, Sister can, Maria Philomena about brush control and pigs. Mm-hmm. Just fence them in, bro. Wherever you want, wherever you want scorched earth, fence a bunch of pigs in there. Job will be accomplished. Yeah, yeah, and and that's where the beauty of you know multi species grazing comes in because you're giving you know, several different levels of not only weed control and pest control and, and, you know, whatever else you're trying to accomplish, you're doing, you're having different processes cycling those nutrients, you know, a cow or a sheep or a goat, is going to cycle it through the rumen. A pig is going to be a more straight digestion, you know, it's the same for a chicken. So you're having different levels of manure application, which is, very good because there's different types of microbes and other things in the soil that are going to take advantage of that and, and, and use it differently. So 
There's something very interesting in the story, Mitter Monday. I don't know if you uh, you read the whole thing. Um, and they cover the fact that, and maybe this is an idea for some of you that are considering some homesteading ideas, maybe uh, Rose and uh, Curtis up in Ohio. Maybe this is something that's up your you guys' alley or someone that you know nearby. Um, <coughs> the vineyard manager, in the, according to the story, needs to determine whether or not he wants to own or lease the sheep. I mean, you're going like, well, that's interesting. You can lease a sheep flock? Well, apparently you can. Um, owning sheep means the vineyard manager will establish a plan uh, for sheep health and management, including safety, nutrition, reproduction, and diseases. When contracting with a grazing service, though, mid or Monday, the, vi- the vineyard manager and grazing service provider must develop a shared vision of which is more important, extra product to sell or weed control. And then the guy in the story says growing uh, grazing vineyards is a business. The vineyard manager must value the service and be willing to provide fair compensation that enables the grazing service provider to make a profit. Now, that's quite a, 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 a conundrum there. Is the profit not that your sheep are fed and you didn't have to have the land to do it? Isn't that the, and now you can sell them off at, at auction? Isn't that, a, isn't that the profit? What am I missing? Well, I, I, well, I guess that's you know, it's like like everybody else. Everybody wants to, uh, I mean, everybody wants to maximize their profits, Mike. Um, you know, if it, if it gives somebody more land, just like getting rights to graze on federal land, you know, there is some, I would assume, additional liability that they've got to work out. There's there's transportation, you know, depending on where it is. So they may, you know, somebody may say, well, I got added expenses because of this, and I want that covered. Uh, I'm guessing. I don't know. Uh, you know, it's not an unusual scenario. Apiaries are great, are famous. I mean, you know, you keep somebody around your your homestead or farmstead or whatever. But you know, they tend to put the beehives out. You know, contracted with uh, farms that have the need for the pollination. Uh, you know, ask Fiorella next time. She knows what a boar walker is. You know what a boar walker is? No, what's a boar walker? Somebody That's that walks a boar. Yeah, walks the boar to your farm to. Uh, Assist you in creating more pigs. Oh, <laughs> he sounds like a pimp. He sounds like an ag, an agriculture that's, pimp. That's that's kind of what it is. So this kind of thing is not new. And I'm I'm just guessing. I mean, somebody said, okay, do you want to take your sheep off your farm and take them someplace else? First thing that hits me is liability. How good is their fencing? How good is their crew? that's not going to leave the gate open. Yeah. I don't need to, I don't need to hear that. You know, I'm now liable for an accident because a sheep ran out into the road and somebody said ah sheep and ran into a telephone pole. <laughs> you know, does the bo- nobody, this kind of stuff happens. You know, and does the boar walker go by the name Huggy Bear or Upgrade? Uh, well, if you ever watched The Good Life, you would see a boar walker. Ah, ah. <laughs> they had that in one of the episodes. All roads Again, lead to the good it. life. That's right. I mean, I say there's nothing realistic about it other than it does really bring up real things. That was the only thing. Uh, so the interesting thing about uh, no, the interesting thing about the conversation is it's just another one of the many conversations on Free Farm Friday uh, about the um, the advantages. Um, which are both tangible, uh, short-term, and long-term, of introducing animals into any homestead. And, and, and as Brian Kay is fond of saying, dude, there's no right or wrong way. 
Where is your land? What's the climate? What grows there? What animal will flourish? What are you trying to grow? That will that informs a lot of this decision-making process. So it's not that this guy's an expert or that guy's an expert, and this guy said, yeah, but that guy said that. Brian, it's almost, it, it all comes down to you and what you want for your homestead or your small, uh, your small uh, patch of a farm. Exactly. I mean, I, I think I shared an article earlier in the week about, you know, people making excuses. Why not to start, you know, putting in a garden? Why not to start? And it's like, you just, you got to do it. You understand your context, understand what you're working with and do it. I mean, I've seen, you know, people in an apartment raising a lot of food and big pots on their, on the balcony of an apartment. You know, it's it's not, you know, there's no wrong way of you know doing that you're putting something on your table that you grew you know that and i think that's the whole goal behind you know a lot of it and then you know if you do have the space you know under you know learn those regenerative concepts and then apply them and and figure out again what's your context what works here what you know what doesn't work here you know i know a lot of people you know they love all these things it's like but does, is it work? Is it going to work for you? Is it going to put you out? I mean, if it makes you happy, well, then that's one thing. But understand, it's not going to be free. You know, you're still going to have to find a way to get it nutrition and, and everything else. But you know, you still have that understanding. Again, context is huge. No, context is huge. And uh, you know, as uh, uh, as Mr. Barrett used to say when he talked about solar panels at the first Congress. What are your expectations? Dude, lower your expectations. The idea you're going to go from city slicker to, to uh, Mr. and Mrs. Douglas and successful regenerative farming in the first season, and you're going to be making money hand over fist at the farmer's market, that is not realistic. So lower your expectations. Do things that are within your reach, within your goal. Let me just tell you. So, Brian... <clears throat> You're going to find us funny. So I went to three different hardware stores slash kind of feed stores that carry most of your basic feed farming supplies. All I asked all three of them the same question. And I had been to one of them before and had had a successful answer. But that's when the old man was there and the old man's not there anymore. So I had to talk to one of the kids. Here was the question. Hey, uh, where do you keep the cover crop seed? And what did um, they tell you? Uh, cover crop. What do you mean? So, well, I'm specifically looking for crimson, crimson clover. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, you mean like Joan Jett and the Blackhearts? No, not like the song Crimson Clover. Uh, it was like, I don't think we, I don't think you actually grow clover, do you? Because, well, we have all this. And then I said, well, do you have any vetch? What's that? Uh, I said, well, what do you have? Oh, we have all this great stuff that you can throw out on your deer plots. I mean, this has become like a maniacal possession obsession here in the South. It's really starting to to, to run me the Catch wrong way. all new terrifying radio on Classics on Terror on Tuesdays deer, beginning at 7 p.m. East, 4 West, here on the Crusade Channel. And catch and up on episodes you miss as podcasts at podcast.crusadechannel.com. Classic radio, the way it should be. Deer, deer plot seed in it. So oh, 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 I'm going to tell you a little secret about the, those deer food plots. Yeah. 
look at the seed content and what's in them and look at a cover crop mix and tell me the difference. So what so is there there's more fertilizer than there is seed? No, there's there's actually good stuff in there. There's Is the, there? There's Oh yeah. Uh, well, I can get all that I want, bro. I can get a thousand pounds yeah. right down the street. <laughs> yeah, my first, my first. It's not even expensive. Crops, my first, yeah, exactly. My first two or three years of cover crops were deer food plots. Okay, well, I was looking at the content. And it didn't have any ryegrass, and it didn't have any crimson clover. Well, no, but clover it, was it, one it, of the contents of one of them. I'm like, dude, I don't know if that's a cover crop. It looks to me like they're just trying to, I, I don't know what they're trying to do with it, but it's an industry down here in the South. Yeah, well, and, and again, you have to be flexible and adaptable, too. Okay, you know, so I can go buy some deer cover crop today, then. Yeah, yeah, you All have right. to, you have to <laughs> do, you know, do your research. Okay, if I can't get this, what is this? Any clover is going to help you. Yeah, crimson clover is beautiful. I'm going to do that, but if you can't get it, there's other, you know, there's red clover, there's white clover, you know, there's all kinds of different ones. You know, you might have to do it a little differently and manage it a little, you know, differently, but a lot of times they're going to give you those soil building benefits that you want 